0: Welcome back to the pros and content podcast brought to you by Notch. This season, we're talking to digital growth and demand gen marketers about how they use audience journey strategy and metrics to accelerate business growth. I'm Ellen Schwartz, Senior Director of Demand Gen here at Notch. We have a dynamic duo on today's show. Brooklyn Nash and Sam Hembry work with content and growth marketers in their roles at Beam Content. And the interesting thing is so much of their work is rooted in results. One piece of rock content can work up and down the funnel with multiple goals and KPIs for multiple audiences. It all makes sense, I promise. Just keep listening. Really quick, do me a favor and check if you are subscribed so you don't miss any episodes this season. We'll have interviews with marketers from Chili Piper, Gong, Stack Overflow, and more. Hello, and welcome back to this episode of Pros and Content. I'm your host, Ellen Schwartz, and I am joined today by two incredible content leaders, Brooklyn Nash and Sam Hembry, our co-founders at Beam Content. Hi, Brooklyn. Hi, Sam. Hi. Hi. It's great to have you here. I wanted to kick off just understanding a bit more about you. So Brooklyn, give us a little bit about your background and what led you here to Beam Content.
1: Yeah, I'll try to give the 30-second version. I started as a freelance writer about 9 years ago. And then about 4 years ago, transitioned into more full-fledged content marketing for my clients and then spent a couple of years in-house at a couple of different startups. The latest one at Outreach, where I worked alongside Sam. And through that experience, just realized a couple of things. One, I think there's a big opportunity for the type of content that we're creating for our clients now. And to that, I mean, I learned a ton being full-time, but I really liked doing my own thing. My wife and I had been freelancing for a long time. So we decided to jump back out and do our own thing again. Uh, and then a few months later, Sam joined us and here we are with Beam.
0: <laughs> Hooray. Well, and if there's ever a moment to be self-employed, I feel like you have found it. You've hit that one, the timing right for that. So congratulations. Thanks. Sam, what brought you to Brooklyn and to Beam Content?
2: Yeah. So I'm Sam and I got my start in marketing at Outreach three years ago I was like a growth associate. And I started with a heavy focus on social media, I started running our podcast and eventually like moved from content production of all sorts to more of like overseeing all the content channels, like virtual events, email blog and social and I've always loved like been a part of social media stuff whether that's like running you know LinkedIn takeovers or whatever and yeah that's where I met Brooklyn and so it was really exciting when Brooklyn and Becca reached out like in January of this year and yeah, it brought me on board to like be the creative person who does our social media strategy for our clients and other creative offerings. So it's been a lot of fun.
1: All the stuff we're not good at.
0: It's nice to find someone with complementary skills, right? That's the case, no matter where you work. Mm-hmm. So that's incredible. And I wanted to talk a little bit about today, specifically, rock content and this idea that you guys have of not just redistributing it, but repurposing it. And I wanted to phrase it that way because I think you'll see around town that around marketing town that people say repurpose, but what they're actually doing is redistributing. Like someone will (coughs) create a blog post and they say, well, we'll repurpose it for social, for a video, for something. But what you're saying, and the reason I thought it would be great to talk to you guys, is that you are actually saying a piece of rock content can serve many purposes throughout its life within your funnel. So, taking one step back, why don't you outline what you would expect to see when we talk about what is a piece of rock content? And then we'll dive into the actual repurposing of that.
1: I think probably the clearest definition would be how you plan to distribute it and what the purpose of the content is, because it can be something that lives natively on your website. It can be a PDF. There's a lot of different formats it can take. It can be a guide, a white paper, a point of view, whatever. But I like the word rock content. A piece of rock content can be used across nearly all of your channels. Like you can use it for your email marketing. You can use it for social. You can use it for sales even Whereas something else might serve one purpose. This is for our email list. This is an SEO article that will pull in organic traffic and it's serving one purpose for one channel versus having the opportunity to serve all your channels or multiple channels.
0: So a few examples in there I heard would be a big ebook or a downloadable guide, something that is longer format, but also not something you're creating with only one channel or one audience in mind.
1: Yeah, or one month or one quarter. It's something that you can come back to.
0: So I liked that. Brooklyn, you said that there's a lot to consider with this piece of rock content. It's not just here in this quarter, here in this channel. It stretches beyond that. You have to kind of take that step up and think of it in a broader sense. Sam, it sounds like you might have some great examples of using that in social.
2: I think there's a ton of ways that you can repurpose content for social. And so like these rock pieces of content, usually there's like lists you can pull out of them. The content starts with an interview. There's video clips that you can pull out of those interviews that can be used in different ways on social. You know, we'll pull quotes from people. Like it's really great when you can give shout outs to the people that are contributing to your content and pulling images and graphics, like seeing how you can basically take the information and present it in a different way that may resonate with people who like to consume things in different formats. So yeah, there's... A lot of different ways we like to pull and repurpose that rock content.
1: It's not doing it in a way where it's pointing back to whatever the ebook or guide is. It can stand on its own. So if you're pulling a quote out, that quote can stand on its own. If you're pulling a list, that can stand on its own. So people more at the top of funnel who aren't even necessarily a prospect yet can engage in a a way that you're becoming like an educator, an authority in the space rather than Here's like a summary of the ebook check out the link in the comments and then pointing to a, a gated link where you're solely pointing to that lead generation right
2: I just love that I was thinking like it's important to recognize that your audience is valuable like on social or even if they're not moving down the funnel that your audience is valuable. So like Brooklyn said, if you're the number one source for information on your topic or if you're helping you know people get better at their jobs, that's not going to go unrecognized even if they're not, clicking through like the the goal doesn't always have to be clicking through to that next piece of content.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, what's important about what the two of you just described. So what I heard Sam say is a lot of, you're going to not just take clips and, you know, like a verbatim piece of this rock content and stick that onto LinkedIn. It's that you'll take the content and reformat in a way that is unique to that channel to serve your purpose. So I think you mentioned like a listicle. So taking it and saying, you know, on LinkedIn or, you know, in an image even saying it's like, here's one, two, three things you can do. And then Brooklyn, to your point saying, that's where it lives. There is no reason to take them from the channel they've chosen over to a form on your website, which actually brings up... There's a big debate, like there's a gated and ungated discussion among content marketers and i think any marketer right so is it to gate or not to gate it's so iconic it was a hashtag on one of my former teams we talked about it every time and it sounds like what you're saying is actually in a way this is a ton of ungated free to the world content it just so happens that it's living in other channels
1: in bits and pieces yeah so i i don't have a hard stance on gating or ungating i think gating makes a ton of sense still I think the important part is you have to deliver on your promise. And I think probably what, eight, nine times out of ten, a gated asset doesn't really deliver on its promise. It's either product marketing disguised as helpful content, or it's not even all that helpful content, right? So if you're gonna gate, make it worth it and give away a lot of that for free, like you can still get a lot of like quality leads by gating a longer form asset. But that doesn't mean that you have to hide all of that away. You can still use it on your other channels, right? I think what I have seen done well is where content by itself is often ungated. But then if there's like templates or something that's more in the weeds, those things will be gated. And I think that's typically a good way to do it.
0: Mm -hmm. A nice way to say... There's a lot of information, but ultimately what we feel is proprietary or what only we could provide, that might be something that they they you put a gate in front of that.
1: Yeah, I think that can work well. Although I do, I mean, as a buyer or reader or audience member, I do appreciate when things aren't gated. I'm
0: going to say Sam is looking at, a little side-eyed at you. I'm
1: not going to lie.
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> Another strategy I've seen is like, I don't know if it's to build excitement or whatever, where they like gate for maybe the first week and then... It's ungated after the fact could be an interesting. Oh, interesting.
0: What kind of data do you
2: feel a marketer
0: would get from that? That's interesting. I haven't seen that.
2: Maybe it's collecting like the initial interest and then unleashing it. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure.
1: I've also seen gating yeah. where like you the first third or the first chapter is ungated if it's living natively on the site versus a downloadable right, and then you gate it further down, like what you'd see on I don't know New York Times or first round review or whatever. Sure, yeah.
0: Yeah, that too, that kind of tells you that anybody who's made it through that first third is at least the right audience for the rest of it. And so hopefully they would find the value.
1: Yeah, a couple of our clients, that's how we set it up. we we'll mark in the, as early as the Google Doc saying, like, this is probably a good place to gate it. That
0: okay. Seems- Both interesting strategies. And I'm sorry to have taken us down such a rabbit hole. We can get a bit back on track. But I think it's all related, right? So you're trying to drive people to your brand. And I think part of this is looking at your brand holistically or your your product offering holistically and saying, there are going to be a lot of places that your audience lives. How can you find them? The other half of this is there are going to be many stages in your funnel that that person might find themselves or that you might find them. So not only can you take this piece of rock content and put it in different channels, you actually have this idea that it can serve different parts of your funnel just by taking the content that you've already created and kind of reframing it or repackaging it. So what does that look like?
1: Yeah, I think the best example is one of our recent projects where we're working with a gifting platform, which primary audience is sales, obviously, but they also do ABM, Employee engagement, things like that. And we're running a series of interviews with their customers. But instead of it being a typical customer success story or case study, like here's their problem. Here's how this platform stepped in to help. And here are the outcomes. It's more focused on the champion at the company and how they run their playbook, whether it's for employee engagement, their ABM, their biz dev. So we're going a lot more in the weeds with them. And then our client, the platform is kind of the backdrop and foundation. But not the focal point. The focal point is the guide and the playbook, right? And with that, I think it serves top of funnel because it's educating around the use of gifting and and unique ways people are using it. It's more middle or bottom of funnel, I should say, because you can use it as a case study still and say, like, look, these were the outcomes that they used using our platform. Here's how we partnered with them. And then it's honestly customer marketing too, because you can go. They can go to their existing customers and say, like, hey, we know you you're using our platform for this particular use case. You know, here's a playbook on how another one of our customers are running it. If you want to try to take it and run with it. So it's not like thinking through customer interview has to be bottom of funnel case study. It's more of like, how can we broaden that perspective a little bit? And we're pulling in the social assets. Like that's what Sam's working on, where we're taking the video clips and the quotes and things like that, where it's those can stand on their own on social. So it's even above whatever comes before top of funnel, like awareness building on the top end.
2: Yeah. I love that. Cause when the reader is reading like this case study or consuming like a piece of it on social, they're going to be reading it for like, this is somebody who is just like me or like, this is somebody who's doing my job, who loves their job. Their job is, you know, rewarding, efficient, whatever, like they put themselves in their shoes and they're going to associate that brand with the success of people who are like them. So I think that's really cool because it's like you said, most of the time it is more middle of, of funnel, but it actually positions it really well for just putting it out on social and having it be more of a awareness play too.
0: Yeah. Well, and I like the way you've reframed that too to say it's a bit more kind of speaking one-to-one to your end user. I actually happened to just see a great Twitter thread this morning talking about David Ogilvy and one of his tips would be, it's like you as an advertiser, you're not writing to the whole world. You're writing to one person and that helps your copy be a lot more personable and a lot more like you're actually talking to the person who you'd like to ultimately buy your, your product. So it feels, I think in software and B2B, it winds up getting really abstract really quickly I know I get caught in this idea that I'm talking like on a stage to people to like, you know, like I'm doing a presentation about something instead of how I would just speak like on this podcast, just the two of you and like try to start describing what we solve for, what results you start to see, why that matters then to you in your role. So I think that's all really important to reframe it that way and say there are ways that it's going to matter to someone who's as you said, like before the funnel, just even looking at trying to understand what they're even doing here versus someone who's figured it out and said, this looks like a good match.
1: Writing that one down is some tweet inspiration.
0: Tweet inspiration. I'll try to remember to link to it in the show notes. Yeah, I I just saw that. But really cool, (laughs) you guys. And I think there's a topic that can kind of blend these two things, which is just digging a little bit deeper into social. How are you guys using it? And I would say, you know, without giving away too much, like for yourself, but also for your clients to both create demand, but then capture demand. And I'll just, you know, kind of making it personal again, where it's like, I've been in marketing for about 10 years. All of a sudden, there's a lot of talk about how you need to be creating demand, not capturing demand. It's demand, not lead gen. It's lead gen, not lead capture. It's, there's a lot swirling and it's kind of a big topic on LinkedIn, I would say too, because everybody trying to sort out which is which? Which one do you do first? How do you set this up for success? So that was a really long winded way of saying, how are you combining these rock content pieces and the way you repurpose them with a successful social strategy or whatever else that might look like?
2: I like what you said in terms of people have been talking more about creating uh, demand versus like capturing it. And I think that is. The first step with social is like creating the demand, building the audience. And I think I see a lot of people skipping that step. So like a lot of times you see the company accounts like with an insignificant, maybe number of followers or lower engagement, and they're making asks like attend this webinar, come to this event, take this survey, whatever. And it's falling on deaf ears because they haven't already built that engaged audience that trusts them. And I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before of like viewing that audience as valuable, even if they're not jumping down the funnel and creating content that's or taking that rock content and turning it into these pieces that stand alone on social to sort of build trust with that audience so that you can make asks later.
0: Sure. And I would think too... Knowing that your audience is connected, as long as you have the right audience, they're connected to more of the right people. They're going to be talking within industries, they'll be talking within communities. So just because that's not that person might be the right person at the wrong company, they'll help amplify your brand if you're providing a lot of value.
1: Definitely. That, that kind of summarizes our marketing approach too. Like it's not SaaS related because we're a service business, but like for us, it very much has been about creating demand. Because we're being very hyper specific about what we do and what we don't do and who we work with and who we don't work with and why we're doing what we're doing. And that like in making that shift a couple of months ago, I think our sales conversations have started to change because we're by the time we get on a call with somebody and we're saying what we do and how we work, and they're like, this is like basically this is what I was looking for. And I didn't even realize this is what I was looking for. So just the right. differentiation is what's helped. And the reason I'm saying this, I'm not trying to just toot our own horn, but you saying like the referral piece has been key because there's tons of people who engage with our content on social that are not going to become clients. But when they are connected with somebody who is, they end up referring them our way if they hear something that matches what they know we do. If it's interview-based, if they're looking for help with lead in, if they're talking about how boring the content their current agency or freelance writer is, is what they're working on for them. Like they're like, Oh, maybe you should go talk to Beam. And it's been, I don't know. It's just been really fun to see that over the last couple of months.
0: That's really fun. Congrats on that success. And I do think too, that a lot of listeners would understand that a referral is worth far more than, you know, the, 10,000 of the wrong people on LinkedIn. So, but I also wanted to point out to you what you described though, is even in going through that own exercise of being hyper-specific for your audience is what a lot of people would do with an ICP. It's saying, is my product addressable to the entire market? Yes, of course. Obviously, I work at Notch and I think everybody should have Notch. It turns out, you know, like my sister doesn't work in marketing. She probably doesn't need it. So... Then like, really just saying, all right, well, that's not the right person. That's not the right person. The right person looks like this. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly who you want to talk to. It's a hard exercise then to start saying no to people who come in. But it sounds like what you're describing is that it's worth it. It's worthwhile to say, this is the result. More valuable discussions with your sales team.
1: Yep, that's exactly it. I know it's off base of what our original conversation was, but that was... I mean, we spent what, two months, Sam, going through those exercises before we ever wrote a mm-hmm. single line of copy for the website or created the deck was like literally going 10 levels deep on who our ideal customer is, what our deal breakers are. So when we we know when, we're, when it's time to say no, like what our core offer is, and it's just been super beneficial.
0: Yeah, I think it can be scary at first, especially if you're coming, you guys are building from the ground up to say, where like pretty much any client is an increase in clients and this is great. Whereas if we're looking more for you need to pivot your TAM or you need to pivot your ICP or your personas, whoever it is that you're targeting, it's really hard to scale back and see that those lead gen numbers are going to drop or that your form fillouts might drop. Like something that like there's going to be that initial drop off the cliff in your metrics, but in the long game, it's worth that it's because you know yeah. that you'll be talking to the right people. So yeah. off topic, schmoff topic, we're talking about everything here.
1: And it does kind of come full circle because if you do that as a SaaS brand, like you mentioned earlier, Ellen, you're going to have higher conversions by the time that comes to fruition, right? Because you're taking the time to ask, what is my ideal audience actually asking? And what do they want to know? So then you don't fall into the trap of writing an SEO article up with that somebody's asking about a particular question about Facebook advertising, and you're starting the article by saying, like, what is Facebook advertising? And that's like not questions your audience is even asking. So why are you taking the time to answer it? Like it's actually getting in the weeds with the questions your ideal buyers are actually asking and the information that they need.
0: I like that a lot too. It's understanding also the level that your customer's at. They don't need the basics, they need your answer.
1: Yeah, for sure. There, there, awesome. there is one example. Sam, I think I might need you to fill in the gaps on this because I'm not remembering the the company, but they had all these ungated, going back to gating versus ungating, ungated, really in-depth guides, like we're talking 30, 40 pages, but it wasn't fluff. It was very much like, here's your tactical guide to XYZ. It just went really in depth and they pulled snippets or sometimes almost full guest posts from articles that guest writers had written for their blog into the long-form asset. So number one, they were getting hyper-specific about the content they were creating. And number two, they were repurposing, going back to repurposing the, the content that they already had up. And they were bringing personality into the content along the way because it was saying, look, these aren't our words. This is this CEO and co-founder at this advertising agency and her one, two, three on how to do X, Y, Z. So it's just by connecting the dots a little bit more with the content that you're creating and getting specific about what you're creating and why and for who, you're just going to end up with a lot more content or a lot better content, I should say.
0: Sometimes both. I think the discussion
1: mm-hmm.
0: of more versus better is a great topic for the next podcast we have you guys on. Yeah. Yeah. But thank you so much, you guys. I think this has been a really good conversation. It's really helpful to hear about kind of the differences between distribution versus gated versus repurposing. I think it's been really helpful. So thank you for that. And I'm wrapping up because we've come to the lightning round. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're ready for these?
1: I told Sam before that I always freeze (laughs) up on lightning rounds for some reason. I'm like, "Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I sent
0: them ahead of time, you
1: guys. They were fun
0: questions. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, hopefully you don't freeze. And if you do, you can toss it back and forth to each other. We're going to make it through this. The first question, though, it might be a little scary, is what keeps you up at night as you do your job? I think this would, for me, be as a marketer, But I know it's somewhat different for you as co-founders.
2: Well, this is not probably like the typical, I don't know. This, it's a very literal answer. I was thinking when (laughs) big is launching the next day, which, you know, maybe it feels like whenever there's like a fun campaign going out or something, I'm always just like the fun, like nervous, excited, and just like running through all the the possibilities
1: of like what could happen or whatever.
2: Yeah. It's like first day school vibes. Yeah, exactly. It's
1: cool vibes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Brooklyn anything for you?
1: Kind of a cop out, but I feel like I've tweeted this before, like especially as a marketer, I literally nothing. Like this is B2B marketing, like nothing is an emergency. It's really fun, but like we're not talking about like life or death situations here. So like we're having a, a ton of fun like building the team. So as long as like our team is taken care of, I'm sleeping just fine. <laughs>
0: Good. That seems like it's a a solid indication that you've got a good business going too. If you're not even as a co-founder and you're counting your business in months right now, aren't you?
1: Yeah. Two, month, three now.
0: (laughs) Okay. So well done you. I think that's a sign of success. (laughs) I will say one of my favorite lessons from like my very first big girl job, I will give a shout out to my former coworker, Brian Shepard. So we were working at a... uh, nonprofit that did a lot of events in schools. And so balloons were actually a critical part of events. And we were the keepers of the balloons as the marketers. We ran out and you would have thought that it was life or death. And he's a very quiet guy. We shared an office at the time. Someone had come in talking about how there are no more balloons. (laughs) And I apologized and they left. And he just slowly turned around and said, it's just balloons no one's shooting at us. (laughs) And I feel like it's (laughs) that what you said. It's nice that because we're in this particular business, for the most part, you can say, you can take a breath before something becomes a crisis and say, can this wait? Can we do this right? Instead of it truly needing to be, you know, CNN news ticker, literally put this out right now. Yeah. I like that. Good reminder, Brooklyn.
1: You know, agency vibes and we're trying to like not capture the typical agency vibes. We'll see. <laughs>
0: Good point. Good point. Okay. Next question. Is there a marketing campaign that you point to as a go-to? Something you would run given, you know, budgets, no question.
2: Oh, that changes it. I guess <laughs> it budget, no question. Oh. oh,
0: sorry. Well, I'll no. put a budget back on if you want.
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I think... I put down LinkedIn Takeover. That is something that I've run like multiple times for multiple different like announcements, launches. It's the thing that I like to go back to. I just love pulling all the pieces together, everything that has to do with it, figuring out the angle, like why it even matters to people outside of your company and then like helping people put their own spin on it. It's just yeah. like it's so, a campaign that I always enjoy. So when you say LinkedIn
0: Takeover, is that one person to another person? Is that a company to company? What does that look like?
2: Yeah. So normally, like as many people as I can get involved, I've done it before. Like we used to do it at outreach and, you know, we had like a big one where we, I think we set a goal, like 500 outreachers need to, you know, share this thing. And I think we got like halfway there. We got like 250 or something. Wow. sharing on LinkedIn. But it was just, yeah, typically I share it with as many people as are involved or like, you know, related to the thing launching or being announced. Very so exciting.
1: Cool. Sam's got a great article on it called Always Be Launching. Maybe we add it to the show notes, maybe? Absolutely, we do. Add everything she was just describing, like a how-to. Oh,
0: I love it. What about you, Brooklyn?
1: I think... What would you call it? So at Outreach, we did Outreach on Outreach. Like basically how outreachers use outreach to do X, Y, Z. And then we just repeated that for a client recently. Nice. As a. Series. So you interview five, six, seven, eight different people in their role, how they use the tool, and I think it's a super useful campaign to do as a series, even if it's one or two a month, because you're getting back to the in the weeds type of content that your ideal buyers are looking for, and you have those people available to you. Like if you're a product marketing tool, you have product marketers on your team. Why not talk to your product marketers about how they're using? a tool for product marketing and you, instead of trying to spin something up on your own. I just think it's a super, maybe not easy, but a really consistent, in-depth way to both leverage the resources and people you already have available and create the type of content that your ideal buyers will want to engage with.
0: Well said. And I will say too, make sure that you're using your own product mm-hmm. if it's something <laughs> that you can use. And the number of times that someone on a call is like, okay, but how are you using it is actually and then if you've got an immediate response back, it's really powerful. So yes, applaud golf claps to that one. Very good. Okay. So a somewhat more fun one. Where is the best place you've traveled?
1: That's a hard one. Oh man. It's maybe it's a little bit cheating because we lived there for a year, but my wife and I were in Israel for a year, for a summer in college and then a year after we got married after college. And it's just is such a unique place. We're, we're wanting to go back next summer for our 10-year. We just love it. The food, people, Tel Aviv, the water. It's just such a unique spot.
0: Yeah, incredible. That's incredible that you were able to live there. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and congrats on 10 years. Also very significant. Thanks.
1: Got another year about- to go, but we're at nine in a few weeks.
0: <laughs> okay, I won't jinx it then. Sorry about
1: that.
2: <laughs> uh, Sam, what about you? So I, I had... Have- I think I have to go with Spain. I got to, it was, yeah, my first year in college and I got to go to like 10 different cities in 10 days and eat all the food. So yeah, like paella and Valencia and then like the oldest chocolate factory eating churros in Madrid are just like-
1: Hot chocolate and churros. (laughs) The best.
2: Yeah, it was, it's definitely way up there in like coolest experiences. Oh, for sure. I spent- maybe
0: a couple of months there at a moment in my life where I was able to travel randomly. So it's well amazing. worth it. Okay. And then final lightning round question. What was your pandemic cliche? And by this, I mean, there's Wordle, sourdough bread, Tiger King. A lot of people had some big life moment happen. What was it for you?
2: I feel like all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely had the Tiger King, all that good stuff,
0: but... Were you actually the trend setter? Is that why everybody's doing all these things?
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but banana bread is a staple in my house now. Like that was the thing that didn't go away. Now I just like, I pretty much almost always have banana bread muffins or something.
0: Is there a recipe that you, is like your go-to or have you at this point like fiddled with a recipe so much that it's yours?
2: I have like one that I remember that I just... Yeah. Yeah. So I'm putting all the fall spices in it right now because oh, it's almost fall. <laughs> sure. I like, that's a great idea.
1: What about you, Brooklyn? Oh, besides a lot more time reading, that's kind of the most boring, but honest answer. Yeah. Maybe like fitting in with the great resignation because it really was, I started full-time jobs before the pandemic. And then what, last October, almost a year ago, it's like, I think I want to do my own thing again. And it wasn't for any any negative reasons about the company or the team or anything. It was more out of just like looking for what's next, which has seemed to be the trend. Very
0: cool. I think that's, that's cliche enough. What <laughs> all were you reading? I did a lot of reading too, but I feel like bettering yourself, that kind of falls under there.
1: Yeah, but not really, but be- I, I do not read like self-help or business books or either. I'm like in, I've gone down a Stephen King binge the last like okay. 18 months, <laughs> going back nice. to John Steinbeck, things like that.
0: <laughs> the classics, Cool. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you, Brooklyn. And thank you, Sam. My final question that I'm asking everybody is just, what would you like people to take away from this episode?
1: Mm.
2: I think for me, it's just like the valuing your audience, no matter where they're at in the funnel, like takes time to build that relationship and earn trust, especially coming from like the social perspective. Yeah. So don't neglect that piece. <laughs> mm. Love it. Brooklyn, what about you?
1: I think that you you probably have more content to work with than you realize already. Like, So take a step back and look at what you have up, whether it's SEO articles to update or guest posts that you can rework and work into long form or stuff that you can start pushing through to social. Unless you're three months old, you have a lot of content up already. So instead of constantly going on to the next campaign and content for the next quarter, look back at what you have and how you can best leverage that
0: also wise words. Thank you so much to both of you. Where should people connect with you if they'd like to learn a little bit more?
1: LinkedIn and Twitter.
0: Okay, very Um, good. We'll link to those in the show notes then.
1: Our beamcontent.co is our website too.
0: Very good. Well, thank you both again for sharing your time and your expertise to our listeners. Thank you for spending your time with us. If you haven't yet, don't forget to subscribe to pros and content wherever it is you're listening. This season, I'm talking with digital growth and demand gen marketers about audience journey strategy and metrics. You can find us online at notch.com. That's K-N-O-T-C-H.com. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Brooklyn. Thanks, Helen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Pros and Content. Don't forget to subscribe if you found this episode informative. This season, we're focused on how marketers prove their contribution to business growth at all stages of the funnel. Find more episodes wherever you're listening and learn more about uncovering your organization's true audience journey at Notch.com. That's K-N-O-T-C-H dot